last two weeks that I was here, I've explored the shared heart of the approach of Buddhist practice and the life and work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I did so particularly in relationship to the needs of our times. And I pointed to how the shared approach can be talked about very simply as the intention to bring kindness, wisdom, love, skillful response to every moment and to every part of our lives. And so it's a very uh, ambitious, profound intention, very challenging. And last time I interpreted that approach in part through the notion of integrity. And I want to focus more fully on the theme of integrity today and look at the nature of integrity in our lives, what it means, and what some of the challenges are to a life of integrity. And in particular, what does a life of integrity mean in our times? So when I looked up the meaning of integrity in the dictionary, there were a few different meanings. One of them was, this is from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, accessed online. So the different meanings were first, firm adherence to a code of especially moral or artistic values incorruptibility, so some sense of ethical consistency. Second, integrity is an unimpaired condition, soundness. So we could talk about the integrity of the body and the mind, certain soundness. And the third one's probably the main meaning that we have, uh, maybe in addition to the one related to ethics, the quality or state of being complete or undivided. So it pointed to completeness. And I also brought up uh, notions that I think are part of that sense of integrity related to wholeness, maybe consistency, a certain seamlessness of our lives. For some, uh, it relates to honesty uh, on, on many different... Many, many different levels. And uh, I think last time I referred to a nice uh, definition of integrity by the uh, Christian philosopher C.S. Lewis, who talked about integrity as doing what's right even when no one is looking. <laughs> and so uh, we have that sense of integrity. And of course, integrity is, I think, is best understood as part of a learning process. In other words, we are always, in some ways, not fully in integrity. There is always some imperfection, and there is the chance to keep learning, to keep seeing where there is a lack of wholeness or a lack of consistency in some way. And so I want to explore this, and I have to say that I'm inspired to do this by uh, a talk by my colleague uh, Larry Yang at the uh, Meta Retreat that I'm really uh, following in some different ways, but that uh, there was a spark about this theme, and I think it's very relevant to our practice and uh, what I've been talking about the last two times, as well as to the challenge of how to uh, meet the particular uh, concerns that are happening right now and the larger concerns, concerns of our times. And so I, I want to really engage with you and the part involve you in exploring what, um, what integrity means in our practice and the different dimensions, and, and especially um, what integrity means in our times. Because I think in different periods of time, integrity and wholeness have different meanings. Okay. So first I thought I'd ask you to reflect and 
then I would like to hear from people. So we'll need in a moment the uh, microphone, if you, can, if you can get that ready. So first of all, just reflect on an experience which you may have had in which you learned something about integrity and what it meant personally to you. So just reflect for a minute or two silently and think of a situation in which you learned more about integrity. In a moment, I'll invite a few people to speak if you'd like to share your experience, but I'd like you to see if you can formulate your learning in one or two sentences uh, so we can have a chance to hear a few people so it doesn't, uh, doesn't take too long. Can you formulate your learning in one or two sentences? Let me invite uh, a few people, if you'd like to speak, you can raise your hand and, and wait for the uh, microphone to come around. Anyone like to share something about how you learned about integrity? For some people, it may be part of your learning about integrity to, to speak up now, <laughs> or not to speak up. Yeah. I think it was you that was talking about how empathy is something that we're all born with, but it's something that needs to be nurtured, modeled, yeah. and taught. And I have to say with great compassion, it, integrity wasn't something that my parents modeled or, or stood for. Um, but through these last few years, at least I notice when I'm out of integrity, and it's very uncomfortable but it, it drives me forward. Before, I didn't even know. Yeah. Feeling yourself out of integrity and then coming, seeing that and coming back. And see if you can just take one or two sentences, if possible. When I was in high school, my principal told me that I had no integrity. And I didn't know what the word meant. No. <laughs> So I, I struggled with that, and what had happened was that um, my best friend had broken a rule, and I had defended her instead of the rules of the school. So I think what I learned about integrity is that it's not the same for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a great story. Someone telling you you were out of integrity, uh, and... You could understand what the person meant, but you had your other sense and you could understand what you were doing actually as being in integrity, right? And there was a difference of views and one person had more power. <laughs> so, please. So there was a, a business agreement that went sour at Thanksgiving this past, and I stayed in integrity around um, my response to that. And what I learned is that where there could have been a tremendous amount of resentment and anger, it got displaced by the right action and staying in clear communication yeah. in integrity. Yeah, so finding oneself out of integrity and then taking corrective measures. Yeah, thank you. I'm reflecting on an experience I had when I was um, a young girl listening to my father speaking and listening to his response to 
um, a pacifist who in the audience criticized the response of Angolans to bombing from the Portuguese, their violent response. And I remember my father, who is a pacifist, or was, um, really getting quite angry uh, and really defending the Angolan people who were responding in the only way they knew how. And I think what I, in reflecting back on that, integrity has something to do with inclusiveness, being able to appreciate real situations and perspectives that, um, that other people have that may not agree with your own, and that lack of judgment um, is consistent. Lack of, lack of being judgmental. Lack of being judgmental. Yeah. And then also, very sim- similar to the sense that there can be uh, different senses of integrity, because clearly the person criticizing the violent action was saying, we have to have an integrity of nonviolence, right? So there was a, you could be empathic and see that that person is coming out of integrity, and yet there was another way of seeing it. So it's quite similar. Interesting, isn't it? Maybe one or two more, if anyone likes to share. Yeah, uh, Mark, please. We talked a little bit about this, Donald, on the retreat, but now with this current political climate, there's a lot of uh, racial groups that are concerned about their communities. A little closer. About their communities and the effects, the fear that they have. Yeah. But one of the Muslim women was, was, was also saying they've been getting so much letters of support um, from the community. And I said... I remembered my parents who were in the internment camps that the Muslims are worried about, that there was probably an unforgotten story about numerous people in the community, white people, that took care of the farmers and took care of their land in their absence, at the risk of being Jap lovers, right? That they, yep. that they had the integrity to say, these are just people and I'm going to look after them. So to me, that was a really good example of integrity yeah. amongst a very racial, racially charged yeah. environment. Yeah. So keeping to um, presumably the people's principles of connection, solidarity, friendship, support, even when there were social forces which were making that unpopular or even criminal, right? And, uh, and seeing the uh, similarity to the present time. Right. Thank you, Mark. Anyone else before we... We have some great examples, don't we? Um, okay. Thanks. So when I, when I was... Re- Oops. When I, when I was reflecting on uh, some examples in my own life, you know, I thought of a few things, and one of them, one of them was, uh, that came first to mind, was of my father, and when I was probably 10 or 12 or something like that, 10 or 12 or 14, my father, uh, whom some of you met, named Simon, was a scientist, in, and we lived in the Washington, D.C. area. He was at the National Institutes of Health. And he um, was just a research scientist. My, my sense is that he didn't get a really large salary. And one of the reasons I think of that is because uh, I know that at least uh, for one period of time, maybe for a year, our television set was broken and it was not fixed. And I'm, I miss my mother now because she always would correct me on stories I tell. <laughs> Uh, anyway, but uh, he, at that time, was recruited by a drug company that wanted to hire him as a biochemist to do drug research that would issue in you know, commercial products and so forth. And he felt like his own integrity 
required him to stay with the more pure research, even though the drug company was going to offer a salary three or four times greater, probably a lot, a lot bigger. And that struck me very strongly as a kid, right? Really had a big, had a big impact. So that was one of my own stories about uh, what integrity is. You know, and, and I think all of us probably have many, many stories we could tell. And there's, there, there's this uh, quest, really, I think, for, for wholeness that, that we have. And I'll tell some more of my own stories um, as we proceed. Um, in the last two talks, I pointed to uh, the, the, the shared approach of uh, Buddhist practice and what we can find with the life and work of Dr. King. And I'll bring in Dr. King a little bit more, but just to go back to that notion, because I didn't use the word integrity initially, but I think we could talk about the heart of practice as involving integrity and the intention to have integrity at any moment of our experience and in all the parts of our lives. And so originally in Buddhist practice, this was, again, could be understood as having the qualities of wisdom, compassion, clarity, skillful response, and having that increasingly in every moment. And we find something similar, I think, with other approaches. I was talking about Dr. King, and his, really his approach was to say, can I bring the quality of love? And there was, there was an element of wisdom as well, but love was at the forefront. Can I bring that to every moment and all the parts of our lives? And I think it's helpful to know that for, I think, both approaches, and I'll speak a little bit more about the Buddhist approach, the, the, the root of wholeness is of an understanding of a kind of an inherent, unbroken wholeness in our being. That who we are most deeply is about wisdom, is about kindness and love, and is about compassion. That, in other words, what makes that wholeness or integrity harder is more superficial than the wisdom and love. And that's the finding of the Buddha and of sages that the, there's an inherent quality that we sometimes call the quality of awakening. In later traditions, this was called Buddha nature. That is an inherent part of our being that in a sense gets covered over. There's a lot of emphasis, as you know, on ignorance in Buddhist teachings, that we have this shining quality of our being and that actually potentially can be there all the time in all parts of our lives, but because of conditioning, it gets obscured. And sometimes the metaphor is that our basic nature is like the sun, which is always shining, but it gets covered by clouds. And the clouds are those of our conditioning of our, in Buddhist language, greed, hatred, and delusion. You know, of our, particularly of different things that make it hard for us to see that. And the training that we undergo is a training to have there be more moments of awakening, of presence, of clarity there as we, as we practice, as we develop, as we train. And so that's really the underlying basis for integrity. In other words, the underlying basis for integrity is our basic nature, sometimes talked about as basic, our basic goodness, you know, which is sometimes hard to see in ourselves, sometimes hard to see in others, right? Hard to look at the world and say, there's basic goodness, right? Hard to see. But, and, and yet it's actually being in touch with our own integrity or wholeness gives a lot of ways to help look at the world and not be so triggered or not be so depressed. Because, again, the, the framing that we have here is that the goodness and the basic uh, 
brilliance and clarity, wisdom and love is deeper. Of course, we have to find that for ourselves. When we find that for ourselves, it makes a huge difference in how we see the world. When we find that more and more for ourselves, we have a sense that wholeness is the natural state of things and that it is that wholeness and that integrity gets obscured, but there's a way of developing towards it. And so the training in Buddhist practice is really a training, we could say, in integrity. It's a training to develop ethically, to go by ethical principles in our lives. There's an ethical training is considered a major part of the, of the, uh, the training. There's also a training in wisdom and seeing more clearly. And there's a training in meditation, which in a way helps us to bring, you know, kind of the mind of wisdom and love into our experience over and over again until increasingly it becomes the mind and body and heart that we live by. That's what meditation training is. It's one way to look at it. It's to touch that clarity, that calm, that kind heart, that skillful, compassionate response, and touch it over and over again, get lost, get found, come back, and do it over and over again until it increasingly gets stabilized. First, we stabilize that in protected environments, maybe like here, or a retreat, or you know, in a beautiful place. And then we bring it to the different parts of our lives. And then we bring it to difficult parts of our lives. So it's a very significant part of our teaching to say, all right, once you've developed your practice, how do you bring it to difficult parts of your lives? Difficult emotions, difficult interactions, difficult governments, difficult um, mothers-in-law, fathers-in-law, whatever. And can you see how that's all about integrity? It's all about wholeness. It's all about having the uh, basic mind of clarity and wisdom and kind heart be there more and more. And it's a training, right? It's a training. It's not easy to do that, you know? And we have to start where we can develop that further. We have to start there. And then we gradually bring it into more parts of our lives. And it, there's always the importance of uh, recentering, of having lost integrity and then coming back, right? And there's all, we, have, we have a lot of suggestions for corrective measures. What do you do when you feel out of integrity? You know, and we have a lot of counsels for that. Watch the self-judgment. Watch the, you know, watch the negative stories one tells and find ways to get back to that kind heart, right? So sometimes it means having cycles of withdrawal and then return to get recentered, to come back to integrity. Sometimes we do internal practices, maybe like forgiveness, right? Or we do inner practices, which we uh, make corrections, like a lot of the stories. You know, committing to practice is very important. It's about training which means that a lot of times we're off, we correct ourselves and we come back. It's really crucial that the training that we're in is not a training to be perfect. It's not a training to get it right all the time. In fact, it's a training to be more open to our so-called mistakes and, and see the place for them and see and basically take everything as learning and training, which means we want to have quote-unquote, mistakes. And for me, this was quite hard because um, I, like probably many of you, without it being called this, was raised in many ways to be a perfectionist. Does anyone else have something like that conditioning? Look around, look around. It's at least half of the group. And uh, again, it wasn't called that, but there was a sense that I always wanted to do it right. And that, um, you know, this has its uh, consequences, right? It could mean that if I was discussing something, I had a strong 
attachment to being right, which meant it was sometimes hard to hear other people's views. Right? Or it meant that uh, uh, it was hard for me to look at, oh, I made a quote-unquote mistake, or it wasn't right. right? And there was a really um, revelatory moment that I had at one point, I remember this, when I saw the um, kind of the inner contradiction. And I think it led to greater integrity. I saw the inner contradiction of, um, on one level, really wanting to keep learning. Learning is beautiful, valuable. And yet, um, if I was following a perfectionist model, it was such that I actually didn't want any situations to occur in which I could learn something, because I always wanted to be perfect and right. And so I could see the absurdity that I was actually, the situations I most wanted were ones in which I couldn't learn anything, because I was already perfect. And of course, I could see the absurdity of that. And something, I think something at that moment let go. <laughs> right? I said, okay, okay, you know, let's just relax and you know, enjoy not quite getting it right and enjoy people's, people's feedback, you know, and uh, I remember having the experience of a close friend of mine when I was, I think was in my 20s and was first learning meditation. And one day uh, she just said to me, you know, I, I, was, I was called Donnie at that point, so, and I said, Donnie, you know, you just don't pay any attention to right speech, you know. And whether she was employing skillful speech when she said that is another question. <laughs> but uh, I was kind of taken aback, like, humph, you know, or harumph, you know, the harumph of a person who's most often right and who gets called on something, right? You know, and that, but then when I actually, in my, the privacy of my own reflection, I said, I think she's right. <laughs> and something, again, something relaxed, you know, and how, you know, how can we actually get feedback from people and keep learning and keep training and actually grow in integrity. And I could see that that perfectionism was actually, which I thought was about integrity, was a barrier to integrity. Even though it had some, you know, we, if we were empathic towards that impulse that's connected with perfectionism, we could say it's a mixture, right? There is some actually sincere effort to do things with integrity. But there was also a conditioning that was getting in the way of integrity. It's interesting, isn't it? And so that was, that was learning. And we can, see, um, you know, we can see the training in our practice as trying to bring that sense of integrity to more and more parts of our lives, more you know, to our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our interactions, and so forth. And what I found is that there have been actually two main challenges in Buddhist practice, further challenges, even beyond the traditional teachings. One has been, and I, one has been that it's hard to really develop that integrity in a very full way in daily life. And I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. And the, and the second is, that it's hard to, uh, there are challenges to bringing our practice into connection with the larger social sphere. And I think both of these are connected with the historical origins of our practice, which are essentially in pre-modern monastic traditions. Right? And so it can be challenging for us, and I think it is for all of us, uh, if we want integrity, how do we have more mindfulness a lot during the day, for example. That's what I mean by integrity. It's not so much maybe the ethical integrity, but how do we have that sense of wholeness and living with presence and awareness all during the day? Not easy. You know, again, in a monastic setting, there's tremendous levels of support. And even here, I have kind of an internal critique of myself as a retreat teacher and even of Spirit Rock generally and of the insight meditation movement, sometimes I think that we put, we have these amazing retreats, but we could give a little more attention, more full attention to daily life. That's my own view. Because you know, I know that that's an edge of my own learning and integrity. How can I have 
the same level of awareness at home that I might have on retreat. It's not easy. And I think our emphasis has been more on retreat training. Again, I think this is partly for historical reasons. Does that make a little bit of sense? It's an edge for all of us. And I see it personally as a real edge to have integrity. I want to develop that sense of daily life increasingly being as strong in practice as we have in retreat, which is not easy, right? It's not easy with social media, computers, you know, and there are a lot of parts of our lives that weren't even part of monastic life or much in daily life, relationships, work, you know, uh, emails. You know, emails are not mentioned in the traditional text from 2,500 years ago. It's a big issue. Right? You know, how, do you, how do you have mindfulness with emails? You know, that's not the subject of the talk. I could give a whole talk on that maybe another time. You know, so... Um, and then the second area, and this is particularly where the influence of Dr. King comes in, how do we connect our practice with the larger social world? Again, in the traditional teachings from India, the context for the Buddhist teachings was largely monastic. There are some counsels about how greed uh, leads to inequality, which leads to social disharmony. There are comments about the social world, but the sphere of practice is primarily within the monastic community that's separated from larger society. Now, that monastic community is a counterculture in very significant ways, and there are a lot of social dimensions. So that the Buddha said, we will not have the caste system in our community. That's quite a statement. And he made statements which I think must have been very revolutionary at the time. For example, in a lot of texts, he said the true Brahmin, in other words, the member of the upper caste, is someone who has conquered greed, hatred, and delusion. It's not about how you were born. And so there was a very deliberate way in which the Buddha went against some of the social hierarchies of his time and also significantly brought in women to be nuns, or bhikkhuni is the word. And so there were major social innovations within the community that, uh, made, that related to the larger social sphere, but there wasn't an attempt to change the world. There wasn't an attempt to go beyond the bounds of the community. And so we don't have a lot of guidelines on how to interact in the larger social world if we want to do so. And this is, I think, where um, the traditions of Gandhi and King and others who have brought, who have connected spirituality with a sense of uh, social service, social action, are particularly important. And I think last time I was here, I talked about how uh, Gandhi was in a similar situation. That is, the traditions that were there for him, we would now call them the Hindu traditions, had, in many ways, fairly similar practices that we find in, in, in Buddhism. There were practices for uh, inner transformation, and there were ways to bring that, that uh, transformation into one's, relation, one's face-to-face relationships and one's uh, uh, work and so forth. And there were very explicit teachings on that, but not teachings on how to go into the larger social world. So we could say that, in a sense, there was, for someone who was in a colonial situation, it was hard to know how to have integrity, right? You could have the integrity face-to-face and in your own mind, but what do you do about this overriding social structure called British colonialism? For King, it was... I can have love in my family and in my relations with people, but how do I bring all of this, the love ethic of Jesus, into relating to, you know, whatever we call it, American apartheid of his time, right? The Jim Crow South, right? And the structures of racism. How do we do that? And so there was this very interesting historical um, uh, set of uh, relationships where 
Gandhi in India happened to read about this quirky American named Henry David Thoreau, off there by Walden Pond, being very upset by the uh, what's now we call the Mexican-American War in 1845, and developing something he called civil disobedience, where he refused to pay certain taxes and agreed to go to jail. Gandhi reads about Thoreau, says, I think he's on to something. <laughs> Develops the whole theory of nonviolence, which has roots in uh, Hindu tradition as the teachings of ahimsa, nonviolence, and roots in karma yoga, the sense of bringing uh, spiritual practice into one's action, but he expands it out into the social sphere. Then, you know, a number of years later, King comes across Gandhi. And so we have this, what, this uh, voyage of ideas from the east coast of the U.S. to India and then back to the east coast of the U.S. uh, King learns about Gandhi and says, now I have a sense of how to have this full integrity. He didn't use that word, but we we could say, now I have a sense of how how to have integrity in all the parts of my life. You know, and I can bring in this notion of nonviolence and develop it and have it be really manifesting the same intention as what I'm doing in my own mind and heart and what I'm doing in my family and with my friends. I can have a sense, and his sense was that nonviolence is bringing the love ethic to the larger world. It's about not creating enemies. It's about looking for the beloved society. It's looking for a society in which all come together. Right? And so he really had, had that sense of integrity through that nonviolence, where he found ways of manifesting at the larger social level with injustice something which was really uh, consistent for him. Again, for both of them, there was a rooting in the sense of the deep goodness of human beings. Let me see if I can find their wonderful um, wonderful sense for both of them that... uh, King spoke about there being an amazing potential for goodness in all human beings. And he talked about how the the aim is to, his aim was actually to save the soul of America and particularly to save the bodies of black people and the souls of white people. That was his intention. Interesting, isn't it? And so it was actually to, like Gandhi, to make friends in the beloved society of people who were formerly opponents. That was, his, that was his sense of how you could have social action that would have integrity and be consistent with those other ideals. And I thought I'd just play a little bit of an excerpt from Dr. King. This is a famous speech that he delivered, I believe, the day before he was killed. This is the famous speech in Memphis on the mountaintop. And so we'll play that right now. And it's, I want you uh, to listen for this theme of integrity, at least in a few ways. At the beginning, he talks about how what he is asking of America is for America to live in, in integrity. It's interesting, right? The whole of social action could be said to be about integrity. He thinks that the U.S. is out of integrity with racism. It's not consonant with its deeper intentions. And then he'll also talk about how in a life of integrity, he is prepared for death. So listen with that theme of integrity as you hear this. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, Maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly, somewhere I read 
of the freedom of speech, somewhere I read, of the freedom of press, somewhere I read, that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. And so just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. to live a long life, longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now, I just want to do God's will, and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land, I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Preaching this morning. You can turn it off. Yeah. Thanks. So, in terms of training further in integrity, it's really crucial to find exemplars like that, study their lives, listen to them. Public figures, grandparents, teachers, friends. You know, seek out people who seem to manifest that quality of integrity. And then we can ask ourselves just where do I need to develop more with integrity? And again, to some extent, we have a map of uh, the different places of integrity. It's really the different parts of our lives. We can look for integrity in our Words, our actions, speech is a major place where we explore integrity. We can look for integrity in our relationships, in our work, the nature of our work. The Buddha talked about right livelihood. There, you know, the, how we work, how we contribute, very crucial. We can look for integrity in our very being. And one of the great contributions that is very much part of the evolution of our practice is how we can explore parts of ourselves that we don't know so well, what we sometimes call the shadow, something I haven't looked at so much today. But there are parts of ourselves that we often don't know about, that we're driven unconsciously by maybe aspects of our conditioning, and we need to look at that. You know, someone with integrity has to look deeply within. You know, I know there's a line from uh, the poet Yeats where he says, to actually look deeply into oneself takes more courage than a soldier on a battlefield. To look deeply into oneself, to have that inner integrity, integrity in one's actions, and then the integrity in one's participation in the world. And we don't necessarily have to do that all at once, okay? So it sounds like, okay, that's a lot. Integrity, okay, I just came to calm my mind a little bit. <laughs> uh, I think what's very crucial is that we just... Uh, we find what seems to be the learning edge. What comes next? What comes next in my own looking at integrity? What, where, where am I called? What is the area where I'm called? And how can I keep learning? What do I do when I find myself out of integrity? Again, we want to look out for the self-judgments or the judgments of others. Some people, when we're out of integrity and we're in relation with us, will not be empathic and say, oh, you're on a life journey of integrity. Let me support that. 
they will use other kinds of language, <laughs> right? And so we, how, do we, how do we work with that? How do we keep this? It's not easy, right? This is a lifelong journey. How do we keep on learning? How do we see where my current main edge is of learning integrity? For some people, it's relating to a larger social world. For some, it might be really just spending a lot of focus on how I speak, you know, like in my, my reference to my experience, right? For some, it might be to really uh, work to develop more stability in meditation as a foundation for, for integrity. Maybe stop here and invite any uh, questions. I had some quotations I want to end with, but I think I'll maybe hold those. Maybe I'll... I have a lot of material here I didn't even look at, but maybe I'll do it next time. Uh, but I think just to end with that, really with that question, maybe just take a moment to, to ask that question. If, if this theme of integrity resonates with you, where is your own learning edge to develop further in integrity? Just take a moment to ask that of oneself. So let's see if there are any reflections, comments, questions, further stories about integrity. And let's wait for the microphone again. I want to just say how grateful I am that I'm here today and um, had the opportunity to listen to your talk. Yeah, thank you. Uh, my cutting edge is in relationships that are difficult. Yeah. And um, your words helped me put a frame on something that actually happened last night when we were out to dinner with uh, family members and uh, one of the family members said something in conversation that was critical, that was critical and harsh, somewhat cloaked, yeah. but I heard it. Yeah. And I found myself when I went home being defensive. Yeah. I wanted to I, I wanted to make her wrong, yeah. and I felt defensive. And then I turned a corner, and I said, "Wow, I am a difficult person for her." Yeah. And I began to get curious about, well, how am I difficult? And I'm yeah. going to invite that conversation to happen. That's great. So yeah. that I can, I can have more empathy and compassion for how I'm difficult for her. Mm -hmm. Great. So thank you. And your name? Jackie. Jackie. So thank you, Jackie. And um, for, for many of us, this area of um, maintaining integrity and learning more about integrity from difficult relationships or difficulties in relationships... Sometimes the relationship is with oneself, but it is, it is a primary uh, location for our practice and training, right? And uh, hopefully, we have profitable, difficult experiences, <laughs> so to speak, that we can really uh, keep learning. And there, there are a lot, of, a lot of pieces in what you mentioned, I think, are crucial, sort of the highlight. And it's, you know, many of you who come regularly know that... Uh, I teach a lot on speech, and when we do retreats, and even when I do day-longs, about one-third of our time that we take is on uh, being more skillful with difficult speech situations. It's a huge area, and how to... So wonderful that you actually have an opportunity to talk honestly with that person. Not everyone does. A lot of times there are difficulties, and there's not a possibility of talking together or saying, you know, sharing. How, you know, how, do, how am I difficult for you? Oh, you're difficult for me this way. And to do so from the uh, standpoint of learning, not easy, right? And one can't presume that. You know, some people just will be a stone wall. That's the way it is, right, for, in some situations. And so, but that ability to take responsibility for the difficulty, noting, noting the initial tendency to polarize, to think I'm right, that other person's wrong, very natural. 
You know, most of us do that. Some of us immediately go to, I'm wrong, they're right. <laughs> you know, but to uh, notice that tendency, to um, uh, notice, you know, to, to not follow that, and to take these different steps and to be empathic, it's, these are major, these are major, uh, what, uh, steps to take in, in working with difficult speech situations. So thank you. Um, Elizabeth, please. I think a lot of people are being tested right now, and I, I know I am, and I'm thinking, you know, I have an urge in the, with what's happening, happening politically to want to, you know, to get back and, and to, to, because when you're dealing with people who... Just a who, little closer. When you're dealing with people who have no integrity, in my, this is all my opinion, when you're dealing with people who have no integrity, how do you respond uh, you know, these—it's it, a really, really hard question now. I mean, do we? What do we do with this new Supreme Court nominee? Do we do what the Republicans did, or do we, you know, or do we act civilly and with integrity? And, or you know, because the danger with acting with integrity is what we're all afraid of is that we could lose our democracy. So how do we deal with this? I mean, that question of integrity right now is, is so huge for me. It's because I don't know how I feel about that, I, you know. Yeah, um, thank you. How many can relate to that question? It's okay. a lot. Thank you for being articulate in that way. Um, so a few things. I, I think the question is a good one. I, last time I think I read, uh, last time I was here, I read the uh, questions of, the uh, African American uh, uh, writer and activist uh, W. E. B. Du Bois, who wrote in the 1950s when he was in his close to 90 years old, he wrote he had wrote a novel in which there were four questions: How does integrity face oppression? What does honesty do in the face of deception? What does decency do in the face of insult? How does virtue meet brute force? Those are questions which are relevant now. And so uh, I think, you know, your question would really invite us all hanging around for the rest of the day <laughs> and consulting and exploring. Uh, and, you know, I, you know, personally, I find the, uh, the examples and the resources from the traditions of nonviolence extremely relevant to answering that question. You know, and very constant. I don't think that uh, one needs ever to give up integrity. The question is, how do you act uh, in these uh, very difficult situations and keep integrity? And what does integrity mean for you? And I think I would also invite you to see if you can do advanced empathy practice and see if you can have a sense of there being integrity in your opponents. It's not your sense of integrity. It might be the integrity of someone with a very, very different view. So we go back to what people were seeing about different views, right? That's an important one. That's an invitation to, to explore that. Uh, and again, we can explore it in everyday life by, by trying to have some ability, as, as Jackie was doing, to have empathy with someone with whom we disagree, who at first just seems wrong, right? And can I go there? And that's the practice, you know? And, and it's also, you know, it's also, I think, you know, I, I think of the uh, very important distinction, which is important for this, from, uh, that I get from nonviolent communication, the work of Marshall Rosenberg, where there's a distinction between an underlying value and the strategy, right? And, there can be an underlying value, like a, an alcoholic has an underlying deep uh, need for peace. And the strategy is very destructive. And so one can sometimes recognize, and this is actually a basis for empathy with people we find very difficult, sometimes one can find that there are some values there which one could recognize and agree with, but the strategies are very destructive. And of course, sometimes people say that this is my value when they are not being honest. 
right? You know, uh, you know, I'm presuming, for example, that uh, uh, security is actually a deep value, you know, uh, that's, that we could see as genuine. The strategy is, you know, as most experts think, to have a ban like this is extremely counterproductive, right? But one can have some empathy with the value of security, which, you know, whether or not that's a sincere value of the leaders, we know that it is of large numbers of the population, right? That's not so hard to be empathic towards that. So is that, that would be an example. So number one, try to see if there can be some empathy, recognizing it's advanced practice, but then uh, more so see if there are ways of acting that can stay within one's uh, sense of integrity. And I think we have uh, examples. And again, you know, the uh, examples, that's, that's where I think the examples of Gandhi and King are very important because they show us ways of keeping continuity with our deeper spiritual practice. And, and there are a lot of complexities, so we have to study this, I think. There, you know, you look at Gandhi and King, there are, there are a lot of complexities with what they're teaching. Gandhi often said, I'd rather people be violent than cowards. You know, there's not a simplistic teaching, right? You've opened a, a challenging area. I, I suggest that all the time that we're looking at that large area, try to answer the same questions <clears throat> on everyday levels. Because I think that's, a very, that's what helps with integrity. When we're actually exploring the same questions that we might want to ask on this large, challenging level, how do I, you know, like as in our earlier question, or a lot of the sharing, how do I relate to people who I really disagree with, who I think are wrong, right? How do I do that on, in my daily life, at work, in my family, with friends, with other people? And I think that we get some of the responses for the larger level at these other levels. And we, we get it more to be, oh, this is kind of what I do. That's what I found when I wrote that book, The Engaged Spiritual Life. I found that there was a complete continuity of practice between what we do at the level of the person, what we can call intrapsychically, interpersonally, and socially. The principles are the same. That's what I found. That was one of the findings from working with people in training programs for 15 years, you know, trying to do that. So, other questions, please? Thoughts, comments, stories? Uh, I really appreciated your linking the sort of monastic. A little closer. Uh, I appreciated you linking the monastic tradition to some of the know, inadequacies, the, the, yeah. the things that are challenging about this. A little this. closer. Okay. Yeah. There are things that are, that are challenging about this. Yeah. And, and I've struggled in a, a different way. The leap from you know, the monastic tradition to King or Gandhi yeah. is not very far. They're basically spiritual leaders. Yeah. And the examples that we heard earlier about the conflict between integrity from the school principal's perspective yeah. and the student's perspective or in a business situation yeah. are, I think, much more challenging. Yeah. It, it, so my analog in thinking about the current administration is thinking about the 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 newly appointed Secretary of Defense, who I have I have no knowledge of him except for what I've read in the papers. Yeah. But he seems like a reasonable guy. And he's in a situation, do I accept this position where I have to choose if not me, then then maybe a nut. Yeah. But I'm gonna end up working in a situation that I don't feel like. And I, I feel like the, the gap in, in the, the Buddhist tradition is not Buddha to Gandhi. The gap is you know, Buddha to the Secretary of Defense. Much more in the world mm -hmm. than somebody who is leading a social movement. Mm -hmm. So how to, how to relate to people, leaders like that? Yeah. No, not so much how to relate to them, but we all make those everyday decisions where there are ethical yeah. conflicts yeah. Or, or one version of integrity yeah. is 
is is challenged deeply by another version of integrity. Yeah. Um, I, lots of examples. The 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 CEO of Amazon immediately joined a legal suit to try and oppose the ban for reasons that where he has real grounds for opposing it. Yeah. Whereas many of the other CEOs of companies, you know, hid under the rock basically in response to this. Yeah. Those are real questions of integrity. Yeah. And we all make them at less exalted levels than the CEO of a large company. Yeah. And they're different than the spiritual leadership. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, a, lot, a lot of different ways we could go with that one. <laughs> um, you know, my mind went in a few different directions. One is that... Um, There may be, you know, there, I think raising questions of integrity is a very good way to go. You know, that there are major, obviously huge questions about integrity at many levels of this new administration. And it's a, I think it can be a skillful way to go. It's something people understand, right? And, uh, and also we can understand that there can be a different view of integrity, maybe held by... Uh, some of the people we have different views with. And I think we could, I think it's also possible to say that um, not all the views of integrity are equal. We're not all, okay, but, you know, Secretary of Defense has a sense of integrity, I have mine. You know, these are not all necessarily equal. That person may be in deep conflict, or we may have, um, we may have whole institutions. Another place my mind went was, that what's very important these times is to actually uh, focus on institutions, not just people, and focus on policies, not just, you know, the whole notion of nonviolence that we have with Gandhi and King was actually to say that what was being opposed were unjust policies and unjust institutions rather than individuals, right? And it was to actually create a friend and point out the lack of integrity, point out that, or point out that another world is possible, right? And that's, that's not easy. That's not easy when you have dominant views. Um, and so that's one direction to go. But I'm, I'm, I think we want to watch out for the sense that, oh, you know, the Secretary of Defense has his own integrity and I've got mine, and they're just equal. Yeah. Not, not saying you're saying that. Yeah. Let's use the mic here. Instead, instead of instead of thinking about Dr. King, yeah. think about Cassius Clay or Muhammad Ali, mm-hmm. who resisted. Yeah, that was his way of staying in integrity was to uh, uh, to not to refuse to go to Vietnam. Right. right, but 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 he wasn't a spiritual leader. He was an entertainer. Mm-hmm. And, and in that sense, the integrity that manifests was very different than somebody who's decided to change oh, yeah. the world. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll just end with a few more thoughts. I think that, that clarified things a little bit. Yeah, it's really each of us is going to have to ask how to be in integrity. You know, per- personally, I think that there's a kind of path, uh, you, know, uh, you know, if you look to nonviolence or if you look to some of these leaders, there's a path about how to manifest integrity in these larger realms, which I think is worth uh, looking at, you know, that, that if we take ourselves to be spiritual practitioners, I think they are, uh, they are models in a way, you know, not necessarily to be a big leader, but, you know, to work in that way. He was really pointing out ways that many people could follow. But I think we all have to, I think the main thing I want to leave us with, there are a lot of complexities, but it's really, I think if we keep asking the question, how do I live with integrity in this situation, in this personal situation, in this interpersonal situation, in this social situation? What calls me? And to listen, what we haven't talked so much about is this quality of deep listening to what's there in our hearts. You know, that which you find with many people, Gandhi, King, but all of us as well, it's that deep listening, which meditation is extremely helpful for, to get to the quiet mind 
where we hear what's calling me, what is a life of integrity in this situation. So we're less responding to situations reactively and more responding out of something that comes from a deeper place, what the Quakers call the still small voice, right? And I think uh, Clay was listening to that, Muhammad Ali was listening to that. And that's what really, that's how I want to leave you. Try to develop that uh, ability to listen to that voice and just look for what is a skillful action here, understanding that there are many, many complexities. We're not going to work out all the complexities but we may have a sense, here's the right action here. Here's the way, you know, and it's very simple. I had a difficult interaction with this person. Do I call that person or do I let it go? And maybe the voice says, I think I want to call and take the risk and try to connect, right? That's, that's the level at which integrity can work. It's listening to that voice and say, what's integrity for me here? Do I call or do I not call, right? Or do I just... Let it go. And maybe integrity says, let it go, right? It's no right answer, right? But that's really, I think, what's being invited. And that's where our practice can be of great benefit. So let me end with that and say, I think, I think there's enough energy for continuing. How many would like to continue the same one more time? Okay, how many have had enough with integrity? <laughs> okay, I, I have some energy, so I... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed to continue these offerings, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.